Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin. My guest today is a doula, childbirth educator, and author. After having her first baby, she penned Feng Shui Mommy, creating balance and harmony for blissful pregnancy, childbirth, and motherhood, which is a great resource for new and expectant moms. Now, pregnant with her second child, she just released a new book, Asking for a Pregnant Friend, 101 Answers to Questions Women Are Too Embarrassed to Ask About Pregnancy, Childbirth, and Motherhood. Bailey Gaddis, welcome back to the podcast. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. You've been busy. Did you write during the pandemic? I sure did. So it gave me plenty of time (laughs) to sit and research and write. So yeah, it's my pandemic baby, one of them. Uh, Oh, right. You had two pandemic babies. I think writing a book or making a film is very much like having a baby. There are parallels. I mean, it's much easier to push out a book. (laughs) That's true. So let's talk about the beginning. How did you get into the childbirth genre doula and childbirth educator? Yeah, well, definitely having my son eight years ago and just realizing what a wild journey it is, is what inspired me to begin teaching classes. And then about a year after that, I started working as a doula because people in my classes wanted me physically there. And it just, you know, all unfurled from there. And I just think it is one of the most interesting parts of life to be a part of. It's a crazy journey and it's exciting, interesting, and just an honor that someone would invite you in and, you know, feel not just comfortable with you there, but like you're going to help them have a better experience. When in the realm of baby doula, childbirth educator, did you have the idea to write your first book? I would say about a year and a half after I started teaching, I had a client who was an editor for a woman's magazine, and she floated the idea of writing an article about what I do. And then through the process of writing that, the editor that I was working with said, hey, this would make, you know, great fodder for a book. And so that planted the seed. And I would say it took me another year and a half, two years before that book was actually born. But um, yeah, so that was the very start of it was one of my my clients that had the idea. And now look, although I think you have the greatest name for an author, Bailey Ah, Gaddis. I don't know why it just stands out as an author's name. Thank you. So a quick summary of that book. How would you recap it in a short sentence or two? Yeah, I would say it is a holistic guide to pregnancy, childbirth, and and early motherhood, really looking at how we can nurture the mind, the body, and the spirit on the journey into motherhood. I'm like, I need feng shui daddy. (laughs) And you said more holistic. So do you live a more holistic lifestyle? You know, I certainly try to. (laughs) I am far from perfect with that. But yeah, you know, I really do try to look at how the mind, body and spirit comes into play in different aspects of my life and do my best to nurture all three. But it is sometimes a rocky process for sure. Yeah, I think for all of us, there's a a little bit of a learning curve. And then it's sort of like the uh, stock market. It's up a little bit, down a little bit, up a little bit. But at the end of the day, it's hopefully you start at a point and elevate quite high over the journey. How was your first pregnancy? Like what resources did you use? And did you have surprises? Did you feel well prepared? 
Yeah. So my first pregnancy was unplanned. So my now husband and I, we did not feel prepared in that sense, but my mom had become a hypnobirthing childbirth educator about five years before I became pregnant and I had been learning about it. So on one hand, I felt somewhat prepared for pregnancy and birth because I had been hearing so much about childbirth prep. I didn't think it would be happening to me as soon as it did, but the pregnancy, you know, ended up being really easy. I didn't have any of the symptoms anybody talks about. <laughs> I thought, Oh, what is everybody talking about? This is so easy. And, and it was, and again, emotionally, that was the trickiest part, you know, like the first three or four months, just like, getting used to the idea that, okay, we're doing this, we're going to have a baby and wrapping our heads around that. And then, yeah, then luckily the birth was really intense, but pretty easy. Um, it was fast about nine hours. I never had more than like 30 to 60 seconds in between contractions. So it was like a runaway train. And oh, I, wow. I was able to do it without medication. I was at the hospital. And I think by the time I said, I think I want an epidural now, I was at 10 centimeters. So <laughs> there wasn't much point. And again, that was such a huge part of why I started teaching childbirth prep, because that is what got me through it. You know, learning so much about birth, utilizing the hypnobirthing principles that I practiced during birth. It got me through one of the most intense experiences I've ever had. And it definitely helped me realize that, okay, I guess if I can get through that, I can probably do anything. And I believe that of all women that go through birth, whether you have a C-section and epidural, I mean, it really shows us our strength. So I was a believer. Yeah, it's absolutely true. I always say if men had the babies, right, houses would be really cheap because <laughs> there'd be no demand. <laughs> That's great. You said the pregnancy was a surprise. Were you like actively not trying or just not here or there or trying and were surprised it happened quickly? What do you mean by that? Yeah. So, you know, we were in a committed relationship. We were certainly old enough to, you know, make having a baby a, a reasonable endeavor, but I was on birth control pills and obviously we were the like 1%. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, we had been talking about having babies. The, the reason we decided to move forward was because we were in a good place to have a baby. We just didn't think, you know, we were there yet, but apparently we were and it worked out, but yeah, no, I was on birth control pills. So. Oh yeah. So I can see why it would be a surprise. <laughs> yeah. Well, I certainly am curious about your pregnancy this time, if you were surprised or not, you know, this one snuck through the IUD or whatever, but we're going to take a quick break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by an innovative product that's made a big difference for parents and babies alike. Dr. Mom Butt Bomb. As a parent of four, I've had my fair share of battles with diaper rash, often resorting to thick, unpleasant pastes. I only recently discovered Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, and I was immediately impressed by its pleasant consistency and ease of application. 
This pediatric-approved skin protectant is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, making it perfect for your baby's sensitive skin. It's designed by a doctor who's also a mom, ensuring your little one gets the gentlest care. A small dab is all it takes to soothe and protect, avoiding the mess and hassle of traditional treatments. With ingredients like dimethicone and petrolatum, Dr. Mom Butt Bomb not only soothes, but also restores your baby's delicate skin. Available on Amazon.com and Walmart.com, it's the smart choice for every parent wanting to keep diaper rash at bay. Remember, with Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, nothing comes between you and your baby. Not even diaper rash. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So, you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall, rock-climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So, whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. We are talking to author Bailey Gaddis, who is now pregnant with baby number two, eight years later. The first one, a little surprise, Houdini'd through the birth control pill. This time, were you surprised again? Definitely not. We started trying about three months before COVID hit. And then about seven months later, we got pregnant. And then sadly, at about seven weeks or so, had a little bit of bleeding, but not much else. And then went through a month of ultrasounds that never showed a heartbeat. So it was a miscarriage and had to take, yeah, misoprostol for that because my body never got the message that the embryo wasn't developing. So that was a struggle uh, to say the least. Um, that happened, let's see, summer 2020. Well, what a contrast because first you were trying to not get pregnant and you did. And now it sounds like you were trying to get pregnant and you weren't. Did seven months feel like a long time? Oh yeah. It felt like an eternity. I mean, right before, or actually a week before I found out I was pregnant, I had gone to the doctor. We had made a plan, you know, we had talked about Clomid, which I wasn't too comfortable taking because I didn't want triplets, but yeah. And I know I work with different fertility doctors in the area. So I was starting to think, okay, well, maybe I will do an IUI or, you know, just starting to wrap my head around the idea that I might be experiencing secondary infertility. Then, you know, then I got pregnant, then I miscarried. I mean, miscarriage always kind of stings, but that had to sting even worse after all that time trying and finally getting the positive. And did you feel pregnancy symptoms? I did. Yeah. I had started to feel, you know, a little bit of nausea, the bloating, and that was probably one of the hardest parts, you know, when I kept having all the ultrasounds that didn't show a heartbeat, because I still felt so pregnant. And that's why I had to take the medication because yeah, my body just kept producing HCG, you know, my levels kept doubling the way they were supposed to everything looked like it should have looked with the exception of the heartbeat, you know, so Yeah. And it was even more difficult or, I mean, who knows I'm sure it would have been difficult at any time, but because it had taken so long to get there. And then of course you have no idea how long it's going to take after that to get pregnant again. So fast forward seven months after the miscarriage, 
is when I got pregnant again. And of course I conceived the one month where I decided I'm not even going to try this month. <laughs> I'm just going to relax. And then obviously that's when it happened. So it's like, maybe you should just take birth control. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe that was the one ingredient missing. Was <laughs> Have some twins. Exactly. So uh, two questions really, because once in a while we talk about miscarriage on the podcast, but I think it's just not talked about enough. And some people are more open to sharing like you are. And it's helpful for other people to hear that it's fairly common and it's hard for everybody. And most people don't realize that it's so common and feel alone or broken. Yours was hard for all the reasons that you mentioned, even harder than typical. How do you recover from that physically? And how do you recover from that emotionally and feel ready again? Yeah, great question. Uh, time was a huge piece of it. You know, physically, I just made sure that I had, I think I gave myself like two weeks where I canceled everything. You know, I just slept, I ate really nourishing foods, drank lots of water. I mean, just really hibernated to allow myself to, you know, heal physically. And then after about two weeks, I think is when I had another period. So that was, you know, the sign that, okay, my body has reset emotionally, it took a lot longer. I had two cousins that had gotten pregnant the same time as me. So the first time. Yeah. This first time. Oh, so wow. I miscarried and they were continuing on with their pregnancy. So I was dealing with this jealousy. I would start crying out of nowhere, you know, right when I would start thinking, okay, I'm starting to heal. Like I'm feeling better. I can see pregnancy announcements on social media. Then I would just uh, break down. So it took about three months of that, of a lot of crying, a lot of grief, a lot of anger before I finally felt like I could think about the miscarriage and talk about it without being just completely devastated. And in the beginning, I thought I would never move past it. And I was just convinced that I would always be feeling this really deep level of grief. But uh, luckily, you know, again, three months, I was still sad, but I felt healed for the most part emotionally. Did you start trying right away? I did. Yeah. And I, you know, I took during those two weeks that I was physically healing, I really did some soul searching about, you know, could I handle it if I get pregnant again right away and miscarry? You know, would it be better for me emotionally to try right away? Do I need time? And just the type of person I am, I needed something to like do, something to focus on. And so starting to try again for me felt like the best option. I know plenty of women that need a couple of months where they're not trying. Um, so again, that's such a personal decision. But for me, I really had to just get back on it to allow myself to somewhat reset. It didn't quite work that way, but Yes, we started to try right away. I mean, I've talked to people who got pregnant like the next cycle without really thinking about it or trying and felt like, oh, this is too soon. I'm not over the loss of the previous pregnancy. Everyone's different. I remember when my wife, Alyssa, and I were trying to have our first. It took a very long time and we did a whole bunch of fertility things and we got pregnant and we miscarried. And, you know, I just remember because you said that other people got pregnant at the same time as you. And I remember that happening also with us. And it was like a 12-week miscarriage. It was like literally the day before we were planning to call everybody and tell everybody. And then we lost it. And them, 
I mean, it was twins. And I just remember both of those things that you're saying. First of all, the milestones that they would hit and be so excited and celebratory. And, you know, and each one of those, while you're happy for them, it just really puts salt in the open wound for you. And it's hard to juggle that. Then you feel guilty for not being totally excited for them with no sadness. And I don't know, it's a tough juggle. But then I also remember when our due date came around and it was a really tough day. So it's hard. It's a lot physically and emotionally get past. I'm glad you were able to do it. And I guess probably you're nervous, even though you were pregnant again. No. So did your second pregnancy, was that like smack dab middle of pandemic? Let's see. So it was like when things were starting to loosen up a bit. So let's see, I conceived February, 2021. So we were still, you know, like in it, but it wasn't as intense. You know, I could actually go into the doctor's office, you know, thinking about, you know, that fear being triggered. Yeah. I mean, I was excited for a second and then I really like went into panic about, okay, well, when's the bleeding going to start again? You know, with the first miscarriage, I naively thought, well, that happens to other people. Surely like I won't miscarry. I've already had a healthy baby. Um, and so that illusion was obviously shattered. So yeah, I had a lot of fear at the beginning of this pregnancy and each, you know, you're talking about milestones each milestone I hit, like a little bit of fear and anxiety was shaved away. At this point, I'm 35 weeks, so I feel pretty secure in the pregnancy, but still, you know, I mean, I just know now, well, anything can happen. But yeah, the beginning was really, really tough, you know, emotionally for sure. But, you know, having eight years between two babies means that you're a lot older the second time you get pregnant. And it was a lot harder you know, the classic nausea, night sweats. I mean, I just really went through it. And so, yeah, it has felt like a really amazing and really long pregnancy <laughs> fraught with a lot. But it sounds like you accomplished a lot, even though you're hunkered down at home because this new book that we're going to talk about shortly your first birth, you opted for hospital yes, drugs now, intense train of a birth. What's the plan for round two in a, about a month from now? Yeah, so the plan right now is a home birth. I have two midwives that I've attended births with and really trust, you know, really amazing backup OB if I need to, you know, go to the hospital. And so, yeah, I'll have my husband and my midwives, and then my mom will be here with my son to bring him in if he so desires. And yeah, and we'll have the birth tub and see if she wants to be born in the water. Because in the hospital, it was fine, but I just really felt like I didn't need to be there. I didn't have any complications, no medication, even though I asked for the epidural, I wasn't able to get it. So I didn't actually need any medication. So yeah, that's what we're going to try. But I'm definitely open to whatever needs to happen and, and don't feel resistance towards going to the hospital again, if that's, you know, how it shakes out. I love that open-minded plan. And you covered all your bases. You have a great team around you at home. And if you want to or need to transfer for any reason, then you've got a plan to pick up the baton when you get to the hospital. All right. I'm very curious about the second book. And when we come back, I'm going to dig deep into these embarrassing questions. We'll be right back. 
Hey everyone, it's Dr. Berlin, and I want to talk to you about something that is close to my heart, literally, omega-3. It's a crucial nutrient that's sadly overlooked. With 95% of women deficient, Needed, the supplement brand I trust, created their brand new omega-3 soft gels. Designed by perinatal experts, they support you and your baby's well-being from fertility to pregnancy and beyond. Unlike other brands, Needed's Omega-3 is sustainable, pesticide-free, and third-party tested for purity. Plus, my favorite, it has a milder taste and smell, perfect for sensitive mamas. Don't wait. Visit thisisneeded.com and use code BERLIN to get 20% off your initial order. Experience the needed difference, consciously crafted for your health and the planet. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We're talking to author Bailey Gaddis, and she just came out with a new book, Asking for a Pregnant Friend, 101 Answers to Questions Women Are Too Embarrassed to Ask About Pregnancy, Childbirth, and Motherhood. All right. How did the idea for this book come to you? Yeah. When I was pregnant with my son, I had so many questions that I never asked anybody because I thought they were too embarrassing. And of course I would Google, right. But I would either find really judgmental answers to these questions or just like a lot of really confusing, contradictory information, especially for the questions that were more based on my body and what was happening to it. So I pushed all of that aside, but then once I started teaching childbirth prep and I became a doula, women started to whisper those same questions to me in the classes. And so I realized, okay, great. I'm not the only one that has these questions that can feel really embarrassing or even, you know, induce shame. So I started to, you know, write down all the questions I had had, gather, you know, those embarrassing questions from other women. And yeah, the book was birthed from that. And it was fascinating to write. You said you did a lot of research for the book. Did you research by asking people what their most embarrassing questions are? Yeah. So that was the first, you know, step of research is just talking to women to get the questions. But then once my publisher and I, when we whittled it down to 101, I mean, I probably had like 300 to work from. Then I started the process of interviewing uh, two doctors, two midwives, and two psychologists that I know well. And then looking at all the, you know, most recent peer reviewed studies about all of the different topics. So about half of the time I spent writing this book was interviewing experts and looking at the most recent research. So it was very very heavy on that. Sounds like you must have learned a lot in the process. Oh, I did. It's like my knowledge about all of this increased tenfold during this process. Kind of interesting. A while back, I had an idea with our patient group, the guys in particular weren't too thrilled about childbirth education class. Not all of them. Some really worked gung-ho into it. But a lot of them felt like it was a drag and, you know, after work and Whatever. So we had this idea to try to make childbirth education a little different, like more fun and like a date night. And so we put together this weird show called Ultimate Prenatal Date Night. And it was like 25 cocktail tables, one couple per table. They had dinner 
there was comedy, there was uh, beer and mocktails. And then we kind of broke off into groups after some of the comedy. And, you know, the women would go to my wife and other childbirth educators and we would take the guys and kind of like, you know, that was more of a like what to really expect when you're expecting or when your partner is expecting. And it was a lot of fun. But one of the bits that we did is right at the beginning, as people were coming in, we asked them to write down questions that might be on their mind, but they're too embarrassed to ask and haven't brought up yet. And it was really cool. Like there were so many questions. Like every time we did the show, we got lots of different questions. And the way we addressed it is we had two groups of improvers. <laughs> One of them was female childbirth experts. We've had OBs, we had childbirth educators, doulas, lactation consultants, not comedians. And then on the other team, a group of three professional comedians with improv experience, but really not that clear on how to answer these questions. And so, you know, the women usually knew good answers, but couldn't say them. They had to act them out in improv and the guys really had no idea, but had to try their best. And it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And you could sometimes see people really blushing, but they left feeling like, okay, you know, we could talk about stuff. And it's really important. Uh, just like I wish there was a feng shui daddy book. I think there there needs to be a, a asking for the husband of a pregnant friend, you know, 101 answers that dads are too embarrassed to ask about pregnancy, childbirth, and motherhood. And, you know, the whole postpartum thing, there's a lot of unknown there. So I love that you did this. I mean, do you have a favorite most embarrassing question? I would say the one that I get asked the most is about women being totally freaked out when they feel aroused during breastfeeding. And this feels like a really taboo topic and something that I am asked by almost every new mom I have worked with. And so I think that's a really interesting one because it combines like sexuality and something, you know, so maternal. And I think this is a really interesting one because women, they like shy away from feeling that pleasure that the body creates for us, obviously to have us continue to breastfeed, right? You know, it's so normal. You have oxytocin, the love hormone that flows through you, the nipple stimulation to allow the breastfeeding to happen. So it's all normal, but instead of just like leaning into it and enjoying it, you know, women completely freak out because it feels like these two contrasting sides of themselves, like their sexual side and then being a mother. And it's hard to like reconcile those. So that's a big one that I get. And I love it when I explain to women how normal it is and how they can just enjoy it and they don't have to feel shame and just the relief that that, that brings. So that's a big topic that I like to share with women that there is nothing wrong with feeling good when you breastfeed. And that's fantastic encouragement at the very least, because a lot of people struggle with breastfeeding. So, you know, a little help from nature to keep going. But I also see that question come up in childbirth itself, like people who are starting to feel good intimacy feelings during childbirth and also are freaked out. Like, that's my baby. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I recently had a conversation with Deborah Pascali Bonara, and she wrote Orgasmic Birth. She made a documentary about it. And it was a fascinating conversation because 
so many people think that, oh, well, childbirth is only incredibly painful <laughs> and, and don't realize that some women also experience pleasure with that pain. Some women actually have orgasms during childbirth. Not a lot of women. It's a pretty small percentage, but birth can be this orgasmic experience. And when we think about it, like, sure, if we use fertility support, like an IUI, IVF, then yes, you're not having sex to become pregnant. But for a lot of people, the baby is conceived through sex. And so it's only natural that you might have some of those feelings. You might have some arousal come up during childbirth. And when you think about orgasm, it's like you're having uterine contractions during childbirth. What are we having? Uterine contractions, you know, the love hormone oxytocin, just like with breastfeeding that's being released. So yeah, women freak out about that instead of thinking, cool, I'm actually feeling some pleasure during what is supposed to be the most painful experience of my life. So I tell women to lean into that. Again, it's just another gift from your body. It does not mean that you are not maternal or that you're doing something wrong. I mean, it's just, you're really, really lucky yeah. <laughs> to feel that pleasure. But I have a feeling it would be more common if people weren't so freaked out by it. And then also it doesn't have to be all or nothing, right? So you could feel some of your intensity as pain and some as pleasure and it's not orgasmic, but it's not all pain. Oh yeah, I know exactly. And when I was talking to Deborah, we were discussing that, how it's not just all or nothing. A lot of times the women that feel that pleasure, they vacillate between feeling intense discomfort, feeling some pleasure, tipping back over into pain. It can go back and forth. It's not just one or the other. Right. It kind of makes sense. Like in order to experience pleasure in that neighborhood, it's a fairly simple equation. I mean, the recipe is uh, oxytocin and mechanical stimulation and feeling very, very, very safe. And I think yeah. everybody's got a ton of oxytocin more than ever in life. A baby coming through you is a ton of mechanical stimulation. The thing that's oftentimes missing is just feeling very, very, very safe, either in the room or even safe with yourself emotionally or psychologically, not allowing yourself to go there. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And the women that ask me about, you know, orgasmic birth when they're pregnant, that's two of the big things that I mentioned is if you want to increase your chance of having that kind of experience, number one is looking at any blocks you might have about, you know, sexuality, feeling safe to express that. And number two, birthing in an environment that you feel safe in. For some women, that is the hospital. For some, it's home. You know, I mean, we're all different with where we feel safe, but that I would say is the most essential. If you don't feel safe, if you feel like people around you are judging you, have a weird energy, it's highly unlikely that you're going to be able to experience that pleasure because you're going to be having more of that fear. You're going to be more constricted. So yeah, that safety is a huge piece. Did you have any questions that you got that were surprising to you that you hadn't had before? Yeah. One was about, you know, infidelity during pregnancy in regards to the woman's partner being unfaithful. And I got this a couple times and I thought, well, surely that's something that never happens. And for the book, you know, I actually researched it and was really surprised to find that and again, statistics, we never know <laughs> sometimes how accurate it is that about 10% of partners 
are unfaithful when the woman is pregnant. And of course, if women freak out about this, I tell them you're not a statistic. It doesn't mean that that's a far gone conclusion, but I was really fascinated the fact that it happens more than I thought. And that's a much higher number than I would have guessed. Me too. I had, I mean, I thought, I don't know, maybe 2%, but yeah, I was talking to one psychologist in particular that works a lot with this. And she was saying, you know, two of the main potential, you know, reasons for this is one, some women do not feel the urge to have any sexual connection during pregnancy. They're feeling sick. They're not feeling sexual. And so in some of those situations, the partner strays and then emotionally, you know, women, we're going through a lot when we are pregnant. And sometimes it can be hard to give our partner emotional support because we're feeling like we can barely get it ourselves. So she was saying those are two potential reasons, but obviously no woman deserves to go through that. And so, you know, her big tips that we put in the book was obviously communication because what I experienced, I didn't experience infidelity, but I had the fear of it. You know, I was feeling like I was unattractive. I was feeling like, how could my husband possibly want to, you know, be with me? I mean, it was all stuff in my own head, but the only way I got through that was through talking about it. Right. You know, so I tell women, if you have this fear, even if it's totally unfounded, your partner would never actually stray. It can be so uncomfortable to have this fear that, you know, infidelity is going to enter your relationship during pregnancy. So talk to your partner. And sometimes that means we need a couple's counselor, you know, cause it can be a big sticky topic. So talk it out and get support if needed. I'm sort of curious if that 10% is among heterosexual couples and if it's the same for gay couples. Well, and yeah, and I looked into that and it's about the same for same sex female couples. Wow. That's telling also. Yeah. How's the reception been to the new book? Good. Good. I think women have found it relieving to have pretty candid answers to these questions. You know, I really had to get vulnerable with sharing a lot of my own stories for this book. I figured, you know, if I'm writing a book about taboo topics and encouraging women to be more open, then I have to start with myself. So I've gotten some really lovely, you know, emails from women that really resonated with the different stories in the book and the information. So it feels good. I'm hoping that women feel somewhat liberated by it and that it's reducing that shame and embarrassment. It's really a wonderful thing that you're doing. Even like we're talking about miscarriage before, it's just not talked about. So it makes it more painful than it has to be. And some of these things that come up during pregnancy, it's the same thing. If you don't feel comfortable talking about it, you just hold it in and struggle with it or suffer with it. It makes it a lot worse than it has to be. So kudos to you for a great idea and wonderful execution. Thank you. Bailey, I got one last question for you. It seems like you have a kid, you have a book, you have a kid, you have a book twice already. Is there going to be round three of kid and book? Yeah. So the next book that I am starting to explore and write the proposal for tentatively will be called Asking for an Infertile Friend. And this will be a book that goes into all the taboo topics about pregnancy loss, infertility, that whole journey. I work a lot with different fertility clinics. Um, I've gotten deeper into pregnancy loss, you know, advocacy since my own miscarriage. And so, yeah, I mean, talk about a lot of 
topics to dive into. And then if I can convince my husband, maybe <laughs> will be after that. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, amazing. That's such a also powerful, necessary book and heavy and hard to write. So if anybody can do it, it's you. Oh, thank you. I'm excited for you and your upcoming birth. And I'm grateful to you for coming here to share your personal experiences and this wonderful book. Where can we find you online? Yeah, the best place is on my website, baileygaddis.com. And that has links to all the books, all my videos, all of the stuff that I do, social media. So that's a great place to start. And for those of us who don't know, how do you spell Bailey Gaddis? Good question. B-A-I-L-E-Y-G-A-D-D-I-S.com. com. I'm going to go check it out myself because I'm fascinated. And I just got your book and I can't wait to read through it. I know I'm going to read through it. And these questions that I get asked a lot of times that I'm like, I don't think I'm the right doctor to answer that, <laughs> that question. <laughs> you know, I'm the chiropractor. But uh, at least I'll be better armed with a little bit of information. Thanks again, and at home, thanks for listening to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, visit Instagram. We're at Dr. Berlin, D-O-C-T-O-R-B-E-R-L-I-N. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a whole lot of questions for you. Kids gonna test my will I got a lot to learn And my babies do <laughs> This episode is sponsored by an innovative product That's made a big difference for parents and babies alike Dr. Mom Butt Bomb As a parent of four, I've had my fair share of battles with diaper rash often resorting to thick, unpleasant pastes. I only recently discovered Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, and I was immediately impressed by its pleasant consistency and ease of application. This pediatric-approved skin protectant is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, making it perfect for your baby's sensitive skin. It's designed by a doctor who's also a mom, ensuring your little one gets the gentlest care. A small dab is all it takes to soothe and protect, avoiding the mess and hassle of traditional treatments. With ingredients like dimethicone and petrolatum, Dr. Mom Butt Bomb not only soothes, but also restores your baby's delicate skin. Available on Amazon.com and Walmart.com, it's the smart choice for every parent wanting to keep diaper rash at bay. Remember, with Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, nothing comes between you and your baby. Not even diaper rash.